right, if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, please go ahead and turn with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians. So last week we started looking at the marks of a healthy church, and uh, we will continue looking at that um, as we go to Ephesians chapter 2 of the, of the local church and what it is, uh, what is a local church. Uh, and so we'll, we'll finish this out, Lord willing, this morning um, in Acts, I'm sorry, in Acts, Ephesians chapter 2, and we'll look at verses 19 through 22 this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through uh, 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And if you're physically able to do so, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Ephesians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 19, going through verse 22, hear the word of the Lord that is given to us this morning. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, may you now add the ble- your blessing upon the reading of your word and guide us in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, uh, how would you describe or define the church if you had to? Would you do that? Uh, I think if you were to ask most people, most people would have varying definitions or varying descriptions of the church. Uh, some would know the church for the, uh, uh, the, uh, the activism that they do. Uh, some would know the church for uh, various programs or plans or uh, various different, uh, maybe, maybe they associate it with family members. So that's my papa's church. That's my grandma's church. That's my great, 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 great grandma going back 10 generations. My family's been in that church, will always be in that church. Right, uh, but but lots of other people know know lots of know the church by lots of different things. But how, how would we describe what it is? Because there's a lot of definitions out there, and a lot of different people. Um, you, you would be amazed at the number of of good and bad definitions for what the church is that that are out there. Um, and so, so because we are followers of Jesus Christ, it, it is our supreme desire, it is our ultimate desire that, that we would not be sad, sidetracked, uh, as important as, as certain things can be. We would not be sidetracked from the, from the truth of the church and what it is and our call to be a part of this. Uh, I think if you were to ask the average American citizen what the church is, it's untelling what they would say to you. Um, it, it is untelling, I think, anymore what they would say to you. Um, it is fast becoming a reality when there will be, uh, in not too many more years, uh, more non-churchgoers than there are churchgoers at this point, at the rate of descent in which we find ourselves now. Um, if, if it is not, uh, if the Lord does not intervene, it will not be too many more years before we will actually see non-churchgoers more than churchgoers. And so I'm not sure what the average American would say to us when asked about the church. Um, and, is, and, 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 and the question really is, are we, are we consistent with the words and the commands of Jesus? Are we functioning consistently with what Jesus has told us is, told us to do and be as the church? And, and so again, I come back to the question, 
what is the church? And to that we might all say, well, I mean, ultimately our desire is to please Jesus. And that's a great answer. Amen to that. But that really doesn't get to the heart of, of what the church is. It really doesn't get to the heart of, of, of what, what the church is and what Jesus has called us to do. So even in saying that we, we, we want to please and honor Jesus, I mean, what does that even look like? Well, quite simply, let me say this. Um, the gospel itself both gives us our identity, it forms our identity, it shapes our identity, and it reveals the depths uh, to which Christ has called us. Um, so we looked at last week, we started looking at the, the, how the, in the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, the church was prophesied of. In other words, it, we were foretold what was going to happen. We were told that, that the church was going to be a part of this new economy, um, a part of, of God's plan. It wasn't new to God's plan, but it was going to be a part of the, the new covenant community. Um, and so it, we said last week that we see Jesus as the true fulfillment of all the promises of Israel. That is, all the promises given to Israel are ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And so it points us to the greater reality that God has created through, the, through faith in Christ uh, um, and, and through, his, through faith in Christ, uh, a covenant community called the, the church. And so, uh, for instance, in Galatians 3, 28 and 29, we're told there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Paul would go, Paul before that would simply say something quite, quite very, very simple. Know therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And so, so we see how, how Christ has come and fulfilled the, has fulfilled the, the, the law and has become the central focus. Uh, has, uh, both in the Old Testament, he was, uh, the, this was a mystery, Paul will say in, in Ephesians 2, a mystery hidden for us in the ages past, but now is ultimately seen and revealed for us together that we may rejoice in it and we may see it. That whether we're Jew or Gentile, we are brought together in one, in one people known as the people of God, right? The, the church of Jesus Christ. And this is why Galatians 3.16, Paul will make it very plain. Listen to what he says. He says, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He says not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ and so it is critical and it is crucial that we understand that, that we are looking to Christ. And, and in, by no means by looking to Christ are we, are we denying the importance of the Old Testament or are we denying the importance of the moral law of, of God. But, but rather what we're affirming is that only Christ was able to keep the law in its fullness perfectly and in, through his death, burial, and resurrection redeems a people for his own glory. And Christ then is, is true Israel. And we through faith of him, faith in him, become part of that true community of God. As I said last week, it doesn't mean that God is, uh, doesn't mean that God doesn't necessarily have, have things still in, in, in tune or in store for ethnic Israel, but all of these things are ultimately fulfilled in Christ, not through another way of salvation. So, as we looked at the foreshadowing and the, 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 uh, the foreshadowing of the church in the Old Testament, the prophesying of the church in the Old Testament, 
I want to just sort of focus on the last two today. I said last week there was the foreshadowing of the church. This week we're going to look at the foundation and the function of the church. So let's look at the foundation of the church. Well, in, Paul, in Paul's writings here in Ephesians chapter 2, look with me here in verse 20. Um, it says, and are built, that is the Gentiles, right, the church, talking about the local church, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together grows to a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together for a habitation that's a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. So here's what we can't do. In order for us to understand Paul, what Paul is saying, we can't start in Ephesians. So where do we have to start? Well, Paul, Paul gets his under, we have to start where Paul gets his understanding from. So if you have your Bible, turn back to me with the gospel, into the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 16. Jesus begins teaching, he begins explaining to us, um, some, to the apostles and to us, something very important. And that is the foundation of the church. So that Paul can say, okay, so where's the foundation? Well, the foundation is Christ. So where did Paul get that understanding? Where, where did Paul get the understanding that Jesus is the, the chief cornerstone and the foundation of Christ and the apostles and the prophets being the chief cornerstone? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, listen to what he says here. Jesus speaking to the apostles. Uh, let's back up to verse 17 here. And Jesus answered and said to him, that's Simon Peter. Simon Peter's already made his profession of faith that Jesus is Lord, right? And so he's now saying to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So, we understand Paul's teaching here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, and then Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 20, in light of where he started, which is where Jesus, the teachings of Christ, that is, Jesus is the foundation for the church. And I think really for us to, to understand this, we have to go back and we have to understand what, what, what this confession of Peter in Matthew chapter 16, really what it really means for us and what Jesus meant by upon this rock, I will build my church. Because, I mean, this is a, a matter of great um, uh, debate and consternation and, and a matter of, of great discussion even among uh, the local churches today. So what does Jesus say here? Well, Peter makes a profession of faith in him, right? So Jesus is, is talking to, to his disciples, and he says, you know, who do you say that I am? And Peter makes his grand profession of faith. You are, you are the Christ, right? You are the Son of God. You are, you, you, you are the one that has been prophesied of in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, now come here. Now, Peter didn't say all that, but that's what he meant, right, when he said you are the Christ, um, he says, you know, you, you, are, you are who we've been waiting for. You are the, the Messiah. And so in Peter's confession, there's a couple things in, in response to this Jesus says. Listen, to, listen again what Jesus says here. And I say to you, or and I, I say also to you, that, that thou art Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
So do you notice here what Jesus says? I think there's a couple things here in Peter's confession that we have to truly understand. First, Jesus claims that he is the builder of the church. What do you mean by that? Well, do you notice what Jesus says? That you are Peter, and upon this rock, you will build my church. That's what he says, right? No, 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 that's not what he says. He says the, 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 the church will build the church, right, right? No, 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 no. What's he say? I will build my church. Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Jesus is using a play on words here when he says Peter, meaning uh, his name Peter means small stone, right? Uh, and when he says uh, upon this rock, this Petra, this large cliff or this boulder, right, I'm going to build my church. What is the rock, the boulder that Jesus is referring to? Well, uh, spoiler alert, he's not talking about the Pope. Um, he's not talking about the bishops of Rome. He's not talking about a pastor. He's not talking about elders. He's not talking about deacons. He's not talking about families. He's not talking about anything other than one thing and one thing only. And that is, Jesus is referring to himself. Jesus is the rock that he says, Peter, I will take you, a small stone, and from this small stone I will set you upon myself, the rock, the boulder, the giant rocky cliff upon whom no one can build another foundation and I will build my church. And Jesus says in doing this, I will, I will build this. I will do this. Jesus is, as Paul would show us in, in Ephesians 2.20, that Christ is the chief cornerstone. Or in Acts 4.11, um, we are told that Jesus is the chief cornerstone whom the, whom the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they completely rejected. He is the one that was prophesied of by Daniel that says that in the days of these kings, speaking of the statues of da the statue that, Dan that, the, that Nebuchadnezzar saw, the head of gold and you know, the, 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 the silver and the bronze and the brass and all of this, it says in that day shall come a giant stone that was cut out, that no hand cut out, and it will fall and it will destroy the statue. Who is he talking about? Christ. He is the one to whom all the prophecies point. And Jesus himself then takes owner, not just ownership, but responsibility. Notice that it's not Peter or any apostle or any man who's going to build the church of Jesus Christ. It's just not going to happen. Who is going to do this? Notice this. Jesus formed the church. Jesus bought the church. And Jesus sustains the church in every way. The church of Jesus Christ is a covenant community that is bound together by Christ through faith in Christ's gospel and is composed of baptized believers, which sets us apart from paedo-baptists, those who baptize their children. We believe that as Baptists, we, in order for you to belong to the church of Jesus Christ, you do so only by faith in the gospel, your individual faith in the gospel, right? That's not to bash on, the, on anybody, that's just, that's just the difference between us. The difference is that we are called and we believe that only baptized believers are called to belong to the church. And so we have something in the local church, in the church of Jesus Christ, just in general, right, called regenerate church membership. And so we believe that only those who have personally confessed faith in Christ would be saved and will be part of the church. 
But notice this. Apostolic authority was of critical importance in the first century, but it went away with the death of the last apostle. Apostolic authority was of critical importance. Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. So clearly Peter had some use by the Lord and in the future for the building of the church. And not just Peter, but all of the apostles themselves. And this was true equally as, P- as Paul tells us here in, Gal- in Ephesians chapter 2, that, that Christ is the chief cornerstone, he is the foundation stone upon all which everything else is built. And he says that, that Peter and the apostles and the prophets are the foundation or form the foundation. But Christ is the one who formed it, Christ formed this entity. Christ is the one who bought this church, Christ is the one who sustains this church. And he, he brings us and binds us together in Christ. And and the apostles had authority and ability to perform signs and wonders in order to identify and authenticate the message that they preached. This is clear throughout the book of Acts. But with the death of the apostle John, this was no longer necessary because we had the conclusion of the canon of Scripture. We had the conclusion of the Word of God, and now we have the Spirit of God and the Word of God that works in the church of God. And so we as God's people appreciate and recognize the apostolic authority because in Acts chapter 2, what was it that the church did daily? They were, they were giving themselves to the apostles' doctrine first and foremost. And what was the apostles' doctrine? It was none other than the teachings of Jesus that we now have in the New Testament. But then Jesus will go on to talk about this idea of the critical importance of, of, of apostolic authority under which every local New Testament church operates, right, in this sense, that he says that he says, I will give you and I give to you the keys of the kingdom. Right? I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right. So it goes to prove that um, people can, uh, you know, there, um, there are certain people who can do this. Right. No, 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 not at all. You see, John Gill, I think, rightly states this when he says that when Jesus is referring to the keys of the kingdom, he does so. Right? He does so understanding the abilities for the church to open and explain the truths of the gospel. This is what it means. In other words, whoever you hold withhold the gospel from, it will be withheld. Whoever uh, you uh, share the gospel with, it will be opened to them. In other words, how does the power of the gospel shed light on our lives and convict us of sin? Through the, through the authority of the gospel of Jesus that's been preached since the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. And this authority that, gave the, that was given to the apostles and later extended to the church whole, I mean, it was always in direct connection with the words of Christ and in the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this building that Christ is building here, this temple in Ephesians 2.20, it is the outgrowth of being rooted none, uh, in no other place other than in Christ. And so this informs us then how the apostles, and as a result, we are to apply the teaching that Jesus formed the church, he bought the church, he loves the church, he died for the church, he he gives himself to the church, and the church is called to give themselves to Christ today. Because there is application in all of this. I think there's apostolic application for all of us. Understand that the church is a New Testament institution. It is a New Testament institution. 
It, that is that it was instituted only in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. It was certainly prophesied of in the Old Testament, foreshadowed in the Old Testament. But instead, the, when, we, when we understand this, the church today is a, is a mystery that was hidden throughout the ages through which Christ now makes himself gloriously known. And the churches of the New Testament were gospel churches insofar as they were gathered, bound, and characterized by the gospel and so composed of baptized believers. Now listen, again, if I didn't believe that, I would not be a Baptist. If I didn't believe that, I would not be a Baptist. And I have many friends that are not Baptists because they don't believe that. But as a Baptist, this is, this is what separates us from other denominations, is that we believe that the church is so composed of regenerate church members, therefore baptized believers. And certainly, Jesus would go on. I mean, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 5, in Revelation 2 and 3, um, through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, it's true, uh, we're, we come face to face with the church in Corinth that is messed up it is messed up i mean there's there's just no way around i mean how else can you can you describe a church i'm gonna be delicate here but how else can you describe a church when you when you have a son steal his stepfather's wife run to the church and it's like look at us man and the church is like hooray for you right it was messed up and paul writes to them and he says uh this is gross it is, it is depraved, and you need and must repent. And then it goes on in Revelation. Jesus does two things. He, to the churches in Revelation, the seven churches in Revelation, he says to some of them, he says, you're doing a great job. Keep going. Love Jesus. Continue to love me. Honor me. Continue to do what you're doing. And to others, he says, uh, repent, or I'm going to destroy you. This is, this is, so there, there have always been churches who've had excesses and inconsistencies, even some that have departed from the truth. And I would say this, if those churches did not become permanently deformed or depart from the truth of the word of God, then these churches would remain New Testament churches. But if they continued in their disorderliness and in their contrariness to the gospel and to the word of God and perhaps even strayed further from the truth then they would become what the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith calls synagogues of Satan and there are synagogues of Satan today there are synagogues of Satan those who have departed from the truth who continue to hold themselves up in in and honor themselves in the name of of the church only because their doctrine it 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 betrays everything that they say they believe about the about the word of god and so they have all sorts of wickedness going on in their midst and i'm not just talking about those that promote homosexuality right no 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 don't don't hear me saying that those who promote homosexuality or whatever listen i was a part of a church once who literally became divided because the pastor ran off with the secretary and half the church wanted him to stay and the other half of the church wanted him to go and it literally became a fight and I said, I'm 20 years old, I'm out of here, I don't know what the heck's going on, right? These kinds of things happen. These types of things happen. 
not just those who not just those who 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 are of of those that we would say liberals or heretics but even those that we might even call our friends who reject the truth of God's word who would say well you can't get saved by anything other than reading the King James version of the Bible right how utterly ridiculous or those who say, well, you have to, you just have to do things our way. How again, how utterly ridiculous. We must do things in accordance with the Bible's way of doing things. And so that brings us then to the function of the church. That brings us to the function of the church. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, you told us, Pastor, what, what, the, what the church is. So what does it really matter? Well, it really matters that you and I understand what we're supposed to be doing. So let me just say this. Look, first and foremost, the church does not exist for the sake or the interest or the convenience of either us as members of the local church or by society at large, although certainly there will be great benefits from the church of Jesus Christ, right? It certainly, doesn't, it certainly does benefit the greater society by the church being the salt and light, but, but, but its existence is for the glory of God in all things. You see, God created all things for His glory, and this includes the New Testament church. So the church is corporately to seek the glory of God. And, 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 and when I say that, let me, let me give you a couple examples. First, by manifesting the wisdom of God. You say, now wait a minute, how, how, how do we do that? Well, first and foremost, by giving ourselves to the understanding of Scripture. And not to be rebellious or sinful or blinded by the world of fallen humanity, but, but instead giving ourselves to the, to the Word of God and the work of God by the Spirit of God and the Word of God in all things for the glory of God. And also it would say that the eternal purposes of God is centered upon the work and the purpose of Jesus Christ. And so any church that preaches anything other than that, whether they preach a different... They, listen, if a church, I don't care what denominational name they go by, I don't care what name they have live, staying upon the door or on the sign or anything else. If they don't preach Jesus, if they don't preach the true, unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't want to hear how good they are. They're not. They're not. I don't care what they do in the world. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how, how, how great they are. Second of all, we are to glorify God by reverence in our worship. You say, now, so does it matter how we worship? To that, the Bible resoundingly answers, oh, yes, absolutely. It does matter how we worship. You see, the church of Jesus Christ is to magnify the name and regulate her worship in public life according to the Word of God. And this is often what we call the regulative principle of worship. That is that everything that Scripture commands us, this is what we are to do. If, scripture, if it is not commanded in Scripture, we don't do it. So that's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we do everything that we do, hopefully, because that it is we are told and regulated by God's word to do these things. And so that which is not scriptural or does not reflect the holy and righteous character of God is not God-honoring worship. It's just not. And so in corporate worship, preaching must be central. Why? Because the last thing you need is for me to tell you some funny, nicety little stories and you to go home and be and just have a really nice day today. 
right? right? This isn't Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, right? I grew up in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I'm not bashing Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. I still like to, my kids watched Mr. Rogers' neighborhood growing up. Um, it makes you feel old, right? But, but understand that, that in the end of, at the end of everything, right, the word must be central to everything we do. It, it, if it's not centered on the word and in the word and through the word, it just doesn't have a place. So, thirdly, the church is to glorify God by upholding his truth. And again, we are to teach sound doctrine. But again, I'll say this. Like, this doesn't mean we've got to be mad about everything all the time. Right? We're not called to be, well, I'm right, and I'm mad about it today, and tomorrow, and the next day, and I'll be mad about it for the rest of my life. Maybe you need to repent and calm down. We are called to love the Word, and we're called to rejoice in the Word, and we're called to, to humbly and, 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 and approach the Word. And, and yes, there is a time for us to, be, to get excited when someone is challenging the word, right? But we're not called to dishonor the Lord in the way we defend the word of God and the teachings of Scripture. So, but we are called to, to uphold the truth of God's word. We're not called to, to some false sentimental love as contrasted with scriptural love, right? We're not, we're not called for us to feel good about ourselves. Now, that doesn't certainly doesn't mean that that you need to walk in here and me yell at you for an hour about what no good, dirty, rotten scam, scumbags you are, right? That's not the word, that's not scriptural either. But God calls us to, to empower one another, to encourage one another, but not in a false, passive way, in a way that glorifies and honors Christ, in a way that glorifies and honors the truth. And so the word of God is the substance and the sole authority of the word of God. Listen, I knew, I knew, I know a church where um, before anybody did anything, I'm talking business decisions, career changes, anything, they would go to the elders of that church and ask for permission. Like you, you no, you don't have to ask my permission. Like, my, listen, my authority and the authority of any elder, any pastor, only goes for as far and as long as the Word of God addresses those things. Anything outside of it, if you want to know my opinion on cryptocurrency or the, the U.S. dollar or anything else, that's great. We can have a great conversation about all these things, right? The devaluing of the dollar and how the federal government keeps printing money. Our, our dollar is going to be worth nothing compared to the euro and blah, blah, blah. We can have all kinds of great conversations like that. But those are my opinions. It's not Scripture. It's not the Word of God. So the authority must come from the Word of God. My authority and any pastor's authority must only come from the Word of God and only must be exercised insofar as the Word of God gives us permission to exercise that authority because it's, again, not coming from me or you or anyone else, but thus says the Lord. Lastly, the church is to glorify God in, in evangelism. In evangelism. The Lord Jesus has commissioned us to be an evangelistic uh, group of uh, assembly where, where we go out and we proclaim the gospel. The New Testament church is an institution within the broader society that should have social ministries. It should. It should. But it should never be, those ministries should never be divorced from the essence of the gospel. 
And truthfully, some dishonor God. Some dishonor God in the name of God by trying to help people because they never get to the gospel part. And I said that was last, but I lied. So uh, lastly, though, the church is to glorify God in edification. And what do I mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that. I mean that, as I said, we should be faced with truth every time we come through those doors because we open God's word and we say, okay, this is what God has said. This is how it applies to our lives. This is the way it should look in our lives. This is how we should be living our lives for the glory of God in all, in all things, right? So let us do that. But it should be done in such a way that we are encouraged and edified so that we are, we are building up. Jesus promises to grow the church, but, but the awesome part about this, as you read Ephesians, how does the church, how does Jesus grow the church? Both in Corinthians and in Ephesians, we are told how Christ grows his church. That every body part that Christ has given to the church does the work that God has established for them to do. And the church builds herself up in love. She builds herself up in love. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't say hard things. I mean, right? I mean, I mean, loving things have to mean that sometimes I have to say hard things. But, but it, it, it means that in the, at the end of the day, we are known by our love for one another. We're known for, by our love for Christ. We're known by our love for the, for the Word of God and for the Scriptures. We're, 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 we're known for our love for God. And at the end of the day, that's all we have. That's all you have. That's all I have. That's all we have. We are in that sense. We have one message. The, the, the message of Christ, the gospel, one mission to preach and proclaim that message to all people everywhere, that sinners may be converted to Christ, that they may hear the gospel, that God may move in the gospel and bring sinners to Christ through faith. And so as we look, we, we see the, as I said last week, uh, if you didn't, if you weren't here um, the, uh, the, the, the message, uh, the foreshadowing of that, I would encourage you to, to get that, uh, to listen to that, because I think this will make a little more sense if, if you got lost along the way here. But then today, as, as I've said, not just the foreshadowing, but the foundation and the, and the purpose of, of the church of Jesus Christ is to make much of Christ. Before, and this is why I start here. When I, was, when I was praying through and thinking through where I should start when we talk about a, 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 a church, a, the, a healthy church, I think that it's imperative that we start where Christ starts, at the foundation, because he is the foundation. Before we talk about all the other nice things that, can be, that are built upon this, all these healthy marks that are built upon this, right, preaching the word and, and all the rest, as great as those things are, they're meaningless unless we start with Christ as our foundation. And we must trust Christ, looking to Christ, believing in Christ, proclaiming Christ, enjoying Christ, rejoicing in Christ. Get, get the picture? It's all about Christ. God forbid that this or any local church ever be built upon the personality of a pastor or pastors or family members, but may God build his church upon Christ. Let's pray. Father, we would ask now your blessings upon your people. We would ask now, as, we, as we've dealt with this, with this truth, these truths of the word, uh, help us to, 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 to apply these to our lives, that we would encourage one another, build one another up in the faith. We would give ourselves to the truth of the word of God. We would give ourselves to, the, to, 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 um, um, to only those things that are commanded from Scripture.
only those things that are commanded from Scripture. May we do that in our singing, in our worship, in every way. May we do that in, in every way when it comes to, when it comes to um, collecting collectively as families, as, as, we, as, uh, as we come together as families uh, and, and we, we sing and we worship together as, as families in our homes and then ultimately then together in, in this local church as we assemble and we gather and we preach and proclaim Jesus and we worship Jesus together. So God, help us, guide us, direct us in all things, in all ways, in all areas of life. And we pray this for your great name, for your sake, and for the sake of, of this and every church, um, that the church of Jesus Christ may grow. And we pray this in his name. Amen.